0: Good evening. good evening. Do you remember um, what did we look at last week? Could you give me just a few words about what we looked at last week? Holiness. Hmm? Holiness. Holiness. That's a good one. God's presence with us. Yes. His dwelling place, yes. Do you have another words. No? Kingdom? Heaven. heaven? Yeah, we talked about, very shortly about heaven, maybe more tonight. So before we start, just a resuming a bit, or summarizing a bit what happened last week. We talked about the willingness of God to be in the midst of His people since the start it's the start for you Genesis throughout the Bible God wants to be in the midst of his people then we move on and we said that the presence of God is characterized by the holy relationship that we have with God why? because God is holy so holiness is involved where God is there is automatically holiness we quoted Moses story with uh, this ground is holy so take off your shoes but also where there is God there is holiness but there is worship do you remember this one we praise God where there is God we praise God that's why we are singing tonight even if you have a magnificent band and a lovely pianist and a lovely drummer we do that because we praise the name of God because God is here In the midst of us, we also do that, and we acknowledge the presence of God because of His law. And for us now, it's because of the Scripture, the Bible. But we also recognize that when God is present, there is sacrifice involved. And we saw in the Tabernacle, and tonight we're going to see in the Temple, sacrifices involved or to a certain extent for us today, suffering is involved. So maybe for us tonight is an idea that is not at the back of our head because we're free. We are free to come here, to cross this door. But we have and we know brothers and sisters on this planet today who when they come together to worship, they are under oppression. They are under pressure. And their risks a lot. So suffering for them is real. No. God has a place as a place, sorry, the tabernacle. We ended up with that last, last week. but not yet a land. That's why I started with this um, slide here, because God is moving place to place. You remember the column of fire or clouds, the presence of God leading, guiding his people? But now God is going to say, okay, that's my land. That's the land I chose for you. So now you need to, you know, invest the land, settle in the land. And from now on, there's something a bit particular in the Bible. And I will ask you a question because I struggle to find the answer, okay? You know the tent of the meeting, which is different from the tabernacle. I think now it's clear for us. You know that in the tabernacle there is this ark, the ark of the covenant between God and man, with the Ten Commandments or the law of God and all the stuff in the ark. The ark is placed in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, so really where God is, there is the ark. And now in the story of the Bible, if you want, the ark becomes really important, a key aspect of the presence of God. You remember that this I just resume very quickly, uh, summarise very quickly what happened here. But the Ark spent some time in Bethel or Bethel is captured by the Philistines. You remember the story about that? They put the Ark in the same place where they have their own God. What happened during the night? The statue just fell up fell down, sorry. Face on the front because you know it was kind of an image, an illustration from God. I am the only God. Then finally, return to a place where David knew the place, and uh, it's stuck in the Levite house. It's here, okay? Which is quite interesting because you remember the Levite, they are taking care of the, especially this aspect of the people of God. And the ark is the focus now until the temple arrives. Now, I have a question of one million. Whatever you want. Where is the ark after all this episode in Samuel? Because if I move on, okay, now we are talking about the temple. And from now on, from 2 Samuel, we do not mention the ark again. Where is the ark? Asking the question because I don't know. That's one of the mystery in the Bible. We focus a lot in the place of God, we focus a lot of on the ten of the meeting, on the tabernacle, then the preparation of this hard, you know, solid tabernacle, what we call the temple, a big, 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 big tabernacle. We know that the ark is in the temple, but biblically speaking, after this event here in 2 Samuel There is no more mention about the ark. And again, my answer, and I struggle with this answer, but my answer will be, I think that's because God already obviously knows what is going to happen. God is preparing something bigger than that. So, this is not about the place, the physical place where God is, but it's always regarding the people so David desired to build the house of God you know the story I'm not going to spend time on that there is a problem here the hands of David a lot of blood in his hands and God said you cannot build the house for me however there is little verses in the story telling us that David prepared absolutely everything not just the money he passed the order for everything. You know, the wood, the gold, everything was ready. His son or his heirs, wherever the son will be to take care of this house. He had already every, prepared everything for him. Just need to go for it. Everything was prepared. But God said, he has never lived in a house. To Samuel 7. I have been moving from place to place. But now I'm going to settle in a place. My place, the temple. But look, my first reaction when I read these verses was, So God wanted a place to live, a specific place to live, for Himself. He wanted that for Him. But remember what we said. Where God is, is because God wants to be here in the midst of His people. The relationship is the main aspect of the dwelling place of God. But instead, God promises to provide a home for His people. Now, look carefully here what I've done. Okay, I'm in 2 Samuel 7, 6 and 7. God is saying, oh, I never had a house to live in. Okay? I've been moving from place to place. Kind of a complaint from God. I need a place. Just build someone somewhere so I can go. But here, 2 Samuel 7, 10, a few verses later... In fact, the place is not for God. The place is more for the people, so they can meet God. Which is, I don't know if you follow me here, but that's just amazing. God is telling us, I don't need a place. I do not need anything. But I will go to the place I'm asking you to prepare, so you can meet me. Is that not a loving father? He is so caring about his people that he's preparing a place that people can meet him with different stage. Remember the tabernacle, different stage, so they are not killed straight away by his holiness. There is a the sacrifice involved because they sin from their perspective they need to be clean cleanses to be in the presence of God. It's a permanent house, according to David and the promises that Are given to David, and obviously you know that Solomon is going to build this place. Just a technical (laughs) slide: the temple follows the same basics, basics design of the Tabernacle. Here, what is important is the precision of God. Remember, the Holy of Holies is—it's a perfect square, the perfect presence. Because God wants to be here. God wants to be again in the midst of His people. There is fire and the cloud involved. But even in a temple, do not forget that. Even in a temple, holiness is involved. Worship is involved. The law is involved. Sacrifice is involved. And if you look carefully to the people who are around the temple, taking care of the temple, that's exactly the people you have. You have the people who are taking care of the, you know, cleaning and preparing everything for the temple, the Levites. In the Levites, you have the priests who are taking care of the law and also the sacrifices. And you have the high priest, the one who is supposed to go once a year for Atonement Day. So everything is prepared, both sides, from God's perspective and from man perspective, Everything is prepared so we can have a relationship with God, or they can have a relationship with God. And from this period of Samuel and moving on in the Old Testament, we have something interesting, okay? When you like a place, when you like a city, when you like a house, a particular house, what do you do? You named it, you put a name on it you see the houses sometimes you have the name in front of the house you know a nice name why? because the people want to remember this place not saying oh that's number 40 street main street in Motherwell they want to remember oh that's the lovely blue house because that's the name of the house and so therefore now you remember not this house with the postcode address but with the name and in the Bible it's exactly the same Now, I ask the question, why? Why you have all these names? The city of David, the city of God, the city of the great king. Which is basically Jerusalem. But behind this reality of Jerusalem is the holy city. The city where is God. So when you read Jerusalem, what you should read really is where is God. Where God is. The temple. The place of God. So now we have that. Why do you give names? Because you are so used of this place. This place is so part of your life. Oh yeah, that's you know the temple, you know, the city of David, the city of God. But also because this place is so the centre of your life. Like imagine you are in Samaria and you're doing your stuff and you say, Oh, that's almost you know Passover, Atonement Day. We need to go, you know, in the holy city. They will not say Jerusalem. They will not say the temple. They will go by name because they are used to this place. But also, you give name to some places, particular places, because you want people to know about it. Okay. I give you an example because you have blank faces. If I say to you, oh... Graham and I, next week, we go to the Big Apple. You know what I'm talking about. Do you? Which city? New York. New York. Thank you, thank you, Graham. Yeah, well, don't worry, we don't go to New York next week. Just, it's, it's an illustration. <laughs> it's but you understand my point? They gave gave all this name because they want the people in the world, not just in Jerusalem, in the world, they want the people to know about this specific place. The place where God is. And I found that very, very interesting. We talked about worship. And until now, we know about worship because we read about worship. But we don't have the proper words about worship. However, because of Sir David, or whoever wrote that, because he's not the only one to wrote all of these Psalms, we know now, by their own words written, we know that there is a place, the house of the Lord. And look at the sentences, I will dwell in the house of the Lord all days of my life. I will dwell in your tent forever. I'll take refuge in the shelter of your wings. You see? Now, they can go and worship. The next generation after David. The next generation after the next generation after the next generation. They will be able to go to the temple and to worship God using these words. Reading these Psalms. Learning by heart these Psalms. Making these Psalms for them. Their own words. And again, here we have a concept starting to appear. You see, the promises given to David was what? I will be with you and your son or your heir is going to build a place for me because I want to be your king forever. Now, when you start to write about that, you have a better chance that that will stay forever because writing is very hard to disappear. When I say something like, I call Graham, and if he's like me, psh, information is going here and just disappear this way. When I receive a call, I need to write because I want to remember. So when we have this text, and the people at that time, when they realized that they had this text to really praise and worship God, they used them. And because of the text itself, the content of the text, they knew about. God's dwelling place, and again because it's a text, I can send the text in Africa. I can send the text in Asia, so everyone, because of this kind of text, will be able to recognize that somewhere, name the big apple, no, I'm joking, somewhere, the city of God. In the city of God, there is a place where God dwells. You see the process. What I'm trying to design with you, describe here is from a little garden of Eden, from little families, from little pe- people or nation, now we are growing to the world. And we know that not only the world, but every single people on earth at the end. Because God is dwelling in us. But shh, that's for the next slide. So I'll keep going with that. Now, if you ask me, Seb, why are you tackling this question of the dwelling place of God? Well, first, because that's in the Word of God, so we need to dig this question, but also because throughout the Word, this is a theme really important. And for instance, the prophets, they wrote a lot about that. They were involved, kind of involved, as we read. Uh, with the work of the Levite, the work of the priests. And if you look um, this term, in the prophets, you will have the same kind of idea with the city, naming the city. Here you will have the name for the temple. Or oh, where is God? Like temple, Zion, Jerusalem, mountain of the Lord. These places, Jerusalem, there is object, like the temple, or some idea like Zion, or mountain. I said that at the start because I don't know if you know that, but the garden that was not flat. The garden was at least a hill or a little mountains or proper mountains. How do we know that? Dun, dun, dun. There is no big apple in the garden. How do we know that? Because there is four rivers coming out of this place. Now, technically speaking, if the rivers are coming out, they are obviously higher than the sea. That's the way the rivers are going. So it's a higher place. And this theme of mountains, I don't have the time to do that, but this theme of mountain become more and more important in the language you know, we know that with Moses, we know that with Elijah, we know that with kind of guys like that where mountains became very important, because mountains seems to be the place where you meet God as well. Now, if you know a bit of geography and you know Jerusalem, you will know that Jerusalem is not in the same level of the sea. Do you know where is Jerusalem? Do you have any idea? almost a 1,000 meters above the sea. So Jerusalem, it's a mountain. When you go in Jerusalem at winter time, it's cold. Even if it's in Israel, it's really cold. So mountains is important. And we will start with some major prophets, like Ezekiel. And for him, what is quite impressive is a lot start... In the temple. Now we don't know if Ezekiel was involved personally with the temple stuff, but a lot of his teachings start in a in a temple. A lot is center in the temple. But the problem in Ezekiel is now the temple is not just the place where God is; it's also the place where God judge. Again, why? Because of holiness. And look. The temple is full of idolatry. The city is a useless wine and an unfaithful wife. God's presence is still represented there but now it's for judgment. We need to keep that in mind. Okay, Keep this idea that where God is there is holiness and that involves judgment. Okay, Keep that in mind for later on tonight. There is also... Repeatedly in Ezekiel, but quoted as well in Psalm 51, the threatening of God. If you don't continue, if you continue, sorry, to do this bad, I will just go away because I am holy and I cannot stand in sin. So, in order to punish sin, I will just withdraw. So, there is a kind of dialogue with God and man to say, be careful. You seem not to realize that I am holy and you need to be holy as well. If you you are not reacting this way, my punishment will come on you. How many times have we seen that in the Bible with Moses? Moses interceding, saying, please God, do not kill everybody. Just please do not kill everybody. Abraham, because of Lot. Remember, oh, if these a hundred people, are you going to destroy Or 50 people, are you going to... Or just 10 people, are you going to destroy? So we know now that the holiness of God is so important where He is, He dwells, that judgment and destruction, and we know that with history, destruction will happen. Because God is holy, and the justice of God is always based on His holiness. Now, from thirty-three, chapter thirty-three in Ezekiel onwards, clearly it's not just a judgment. It's like you know, how do you call that after the, the when the judge said the sentence, it's the sentence. You lost. It's it's over for you. You lost. But something interesting, because God is present with His people, yet God always opened the door to solutions and He's saying. Because I'm here You can still come back to me And always through You see that Where God is Even if He could become a judgment There's always this Opening to say Salvation is possible And we start now To see something different About the dwelling place of God Something That was a bit complicated To understand in the Old Testament But now it's clearer There is a condemnation People are lost and where God is, there is salvation. It's a massive shift here in Ezekiel that we don't see in other places, apart maybe in Isaiah. And we are going to be in Isaiah or Jeremiah. Here, um, and I read, I've done some studies on the Holy Spirit years ago regarding Paul. And apparently, some scholars debate that Ezekiel 36 and 37. When you have, you know, this weird image vision when there is dead bodies, and God said, "Okay, I'm going to wake them up with my spirit," and they all appear like you know, flesh and bones and everything. But this spirit is going to be involved in that. The people of God will come to know and experience the Lord's spirit living within them, and that—that's the little words, you know. That's the difference. It's not there is a place and you can go and in the midst of the people. Now it's they will know and experience the Lord's Spirit within them. Inside. There are also the promises that the Lord God will return because what happened between this slide and this one this slide and this one God left the temple. Do you know that? Ezekiel 8-10. to God left the temple. Just disappeared. No more in the presence or in the midst of His people. There is no more God. No more God in the presence in the midst of these people. Now, if you move on and we keep this idea of I'm going to live within them and that's a promise that I will come back one day Jeremiah is clearer, maybe. His teaching is clearer because in Jeremiah 31, and I think I preached here in Jeremiah 31. Did I? Do I remember? Um, we have all the promises of God, the five I will. Do you remember the five I will? I don't remember if I preached here that. But I will come and they, I will live, I will be in them. I will you know, write my law in their heart. And that's exactly the same idea of Ezekiel. The Spirit is kind of illustrated with the law, the presence of God, in the people, inside the people. And because God is living inside us, as the promises of Jeremiah, God said so, that we are now His people. Because the law of God is written in our hearts. Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one. Something interesting in Jeremiah 31 that we don't realize quite often. If you look at the end of the chapter, remember the context, there's condemnation. The temple now is a place of judgment. God said, if you continue to do that, I I will go from this place. They continued, so he went away from this place. And he promised to come back. Okay, we will see that how later... But then at the end of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is saying to us that there will be a new city. The city, the holy city where God is going to live forever and ever. Automatically you link that with Revelation 21. The new heaven and new earth, the new Jerusalem. But what is interesting from Jeremiah's perspective in this text, Jeremiah 31, chapter 31, at the end of the chapter, talking about the new city, there is no mention whatsoever about the temple. No more temple. This idea comes from Jeremiah 31, not Revelation. Jeremiah 31, Old Testament. I know we are like blank faces because that means nothing for us, but say that even today to a Jew, to a Jew person there is no more temple. What? But I need to go to the temple. Remember, that's the holy city, the city of David, the city of God, the city where God is. If there is no temple, there is no God. No, no more temple in Revelation. No more temple in Jeremiah. You can challenge Jewish faith with these verses. There is no more temple in the new place where God is going to live forever. No more temple. i move on. Isaiah, the same kind of idea with Isaiah, vision begins in a temple, it's a house of prayer for him. He's describing us this idea of cities. I'm going to go quick here because that's the same kind of idea with Ezekiel. But what is really interesting with Isaiah <coughs> if you remember the vision in chapter six, Isaiah see the presence, the glorious presence of the Lord in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. For what reason? What is the reason here? Remember his answer. What is not written. <laughs> what Isaiah said to God? He's praying. He's praising the name of God. And then he said, what? Here I am. Send me. So what? What? Somehow, the presence of God is becoming ascending aspect. Now, you need to bear with me for a minute because that's quite crucial for us. We are the proof of this statement. Where you have God, you have holiness, you have worship, you have the law, you have sacrifice, and you have mission. Automatically, you have mission. Because since the start of creation, until Jesus' return and the throne, all our life is based on the mission of God. What is the mission of God? Now you're going to link the dots. I started with the garden, with two people in the garden, some family, the people, the land, around the land, the people will know His name, and then the world, and then everybody because He's living in us. You see this spreading process, expansion of God's presence in the world? That's exactly the meaning of mission. We have a sentence in good evangelical churches, making disciples. But that's making disciples equal mission. It's when when you share the word of God to someone else, so God will Enter in this person as well, so this person will be part of the family, part of the people of God, then this person will also share to another one, making disciple as well. And you see, that's the process. And when you see the presence of God, that's exactly what God wants us to do: to send people. It's clear in Isaiah, it's clear in the New Testament. And somehow it's also clear in the minor prophet you can go and read the, the minor prophets I mean minor do you know why minor and major do you know that the major prophets are now more important than the minors they are just more chatty they they wrote longer letters longer books that's why we call them major because they are longer that's it but the minor prophets are quite very um, quite, are very interesting And Micah, Zephaniah. But others are quoting the place of God. This idea of judgment of God and salvation. Where God is, you will find all of that. But there is hope. There is hope because one day is coming back. So they link that with the promises that will be accomplished, fulfilled in the New Testament. Now, in the New Testament... I said to you that in Ezekiel, the God disappeared from the temple. But there is the promise that one day is going to come back in the temple. Now another question, one million, whatever the device you want to use. When is that? When God came back in the temple, the last week, Of the life of Jesus Christ. The first thing that Jesus did the last week of his time on earth was to do what? He came through Jerusalem. Everybody welcomed him as a king. Not understanding that he was really the king. And he went through all these people, all the city, to get to the temple. Why he is doing that? Because when you sacrifice the lamb, the perfect lamb for Passover, you need to present the lamb some days before in front of God to say, that's the lamb I'm going to sacrifice for my sin. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's presenting himself in his house to say to the Father, I'm here, ready to do your will, ready to be sacrificed. And that's the promise. God said, I will come back to my temple. That's the promise. He came back. Now, the switch in the gospel is when Jesus said to his disciples, instead of looking at the lovely you know, rocks and disposition you know, of the rock and the buildings, you need to understand, all of that is going to perish. Because the real temple is me, Jesus Christ. And by extension, that will be you, the church. You see the switch? Now we are clearly in everybody is going to have the possibility to welcome God in them. Why? Because we were created like that. We were created to be in perfect harmony with God. We were created, all of us, not just the Christians, every single human being on this planet has been created to be in perfect relationship with God. To be this dwelling place in relationship with God. In the New Testament, you have these expressions: "God with us," Emmanuel, or Emmanuel, depending if you use the Hebrew or Greek. "Mary's dwelling among us" in John 1:14. Tabernacle amongst us is the real sentence. Now you link tabernacle with the Old Testament and the New Testament. But we know that is possible through one person. is Jesus Christ. Which is the new covenant that Jeremiah was talking about. This new covenant that somehow, one day, God is going to live in you and me. The promise of Jeremiah. Jesus came on earth and applied, fulfilled this promise. There is this idea also that... The dwelling place of God is the mark of the church's life. Where we are as a community, there is the presence of God. Now, a lot of people quote this verse, Where two or three gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. But we need to remember the context of that chapter 18. The context is the context of a punishment, of a, how do you expel someone from the church. So in the context of, it's not punishment, the right word is uh, discipline. Context, discipline, where two or three gather in my name, I will be in the midst of them. Now, do not use this verse to say, oh, because we are two or three, God is in the midst of us. There's plenty of other verses to explain that, but not this one. This one is quite particular, that's why I quoted him. To make sure that we agree. Why I'm saying that? Because God lives in me. I do not need another p- person... Or two other persons... So that God can come and live around me. Or in the midst of me. He is here. He's living in me. So tonight... We don't you know, expel four people... So we can be just two or three... And then God comes. No. We are all of us as a community... And God is in the midst of us. But also... Remember what I said about mission? Here in Matthew, at the end of Matthew, the great commission of Jesus explained that. That's exactly the point of Jesus. You will go in mission to preach my word, to baptize people and I will be with you forever. There is two idea links. Where God is, there is a mission. And we don't preach that often in our churches. Where God dwells, there is mission automatically. We can't separate the the, the verse. It's what Jesus is saying. I'm here, meanwhile you are doing mission. Meanwhile you are making disciples. I'm here. Because they are linked. Where God is, there is mission. So now we know holiness, worship, the law, sacrifice and mission. You and I, we know that we needed the Holy Spirit to really have these promises in Jeremiah fulfilled. I will write my law in their heart, so I will be within them. Now, there is something really interesting, and I know it may be long, but I found that so interesting. Pentecost, this word, means 50 days after. Pente is 50, okay, 50 days after. The thing is, Pentecost in the Old Testament is linked obviously with the Passover. Okay? Because 50 days after, there is a feast in the Old Testament, the Feast of the Week, and they are doing a lot of stuff in this week. This is not important. The point is, throughout history, throughout history, this word, Pentecost, this feast of the week, referred throughout history. To the remembrance of the people of God about the law. In the Old Testament, when the Old Testament people were looking at this word, or having the feast of the week, after, 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 time, after, time, after, time, that become, we should remember the law of God. That God gave us the law. Now, if you have this historical point, plus Jeremiah 31, plus Act 2... If you put that all together, it makes sense. Because when God sent the Holy Spirit living in you, remember, it's about holiness, it's about worship, it's about the law, it's about all of that. And that's the first rule of the Holy Spirit. I said that last week. The first rule of the Holy Spirit is not just to dwell in you, to encourage you, to empower you. The first rule of the Holy Spirit is to remind you the teaching of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that himself. I send you the other one. The other one. So you will remember my teaching. Yes. Doing that also. You will not be often, John 14. But I'm sending you the other one. So you remember my teaching. And I say that there is also. In Pentecost. For my understanding of Pentecost. We may maybe disagree here. I don't know. But act two is not about that much. About the spirit coming in. Humanity, because there is a process here by God. God sent His Spirit upon His people to do something, not just to rejoice, not just to speak in tongues, not just to enjoy being together. They receive the Spirit to share the gospel. Again, where God is, there is mission. Now, I know this sentence maybe, you know, pushes some reflections and opens some questions because we may be, you know, cool in our church. And we know that God is here and working with God and everything is perfect. But now, since quite a few minutes, I'm telling you that where God is, there is mission. Where God is, there is sharing the gospel. Where God is, there is. Sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Now if we don't do that. If we don't make disciples. If we don't share the gospel. I'll let let you think about that. Because that's the heart of the problem of the lukewarm church. When you lose this point in church. You lose everything. And I'm not saying that. Revelation 1 to 3 is saying that. If you lose the heart of church, which is sharing the gospel, making disciples, mission. Why? Because God is in the midst of his people. In the midst of the people, the person, but also in the community. To do what? To share the gospel. All these verses from Paul and Peter. Sorry, you don't have them yet. Christ Himself dwells in you, Ephesians. You are God's temple now. You are a royal priesthood. Those permitted to enter in the presence of God. And you offer your life as worship. You see all these words coming again and again now that God is living in us holiness, worship, the law, sacrifice, and mission. And I really pray that you will keep these five words in you and keep them very, very, you know, in your heart. Now, we know that in Revelation, the Eschaton, the end, there is a new Jerusalem, the city of God. So we know now because of the Old Testament, when I say to you, the city of God, you think about where God is, where God dwells. And in this city there is no more temple. But God dwells with his people. But there is no need for temple. Because we are. So that that's me. Um if you have any questions, ask questions. Graham will answer. And um no but if you have any questions because when Revelation and according to Revelation there's nothing else after that, so the dwelling place of God. Any questions? Any disagreements? Surely if you have disagreement, you go and speak to Graham. No? Okay. I'm just gonna pray. And I let Graham conclude as well. Dear Father, we want to thank you again for tonight with this all this information of your dwelling place. But we want to go away tonight and remember these five words. Where you are, there is holiness, there is worship, there is the law, there is sacrifice, and there is mission. And what is amazing tonight, Lord, is to understand that you are living in me. Meaning that these five words should be, must be, Relevant in my life. In our lives. I pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.